Welcome to A Dying Podcast. My name is Nils. And today I am online with the one and only Chris Beasley. How are you? <laughs> I'm really well. So um, <laughs> before we go into whatever we're going to go into, uh, for people who might not know who you are, who are you and where are you? I am in beautiful, rainy Eugene, Oregon at the moment. And who are you? Who am I? Forgot that. That's also important. Um, <laughs> so I am Chris Beasley, as you mentioned. Somehow it seems important for me to say that my name is spelled C-R-I-S um, because I feel like somehow that's a different name than C-H-R-I-S. I don't know if that makes any sense, but <laughs> and K-R-I-S, those are also totally different people than me. <laughs> Very important to point out. That's just super important, yeah, right? You, yeah, you have absolutely nothing to do with those people. <laughs> right. I'm definitely not a K-R-I-S. Um, I changed my name from Crystal. And uh, for about 10 years, I really wanted to change my name. But it's, it's kind of difficult to do that if you don't know what you want to change your name to. <laughs> and, um, and finally, I started watching the YouTube videos of this amazing creator uh, in Portugal who has a show called Get Hands Dirty. And she's C-R-I-S because that's how they spell it in Portugal. And I was like, oh, my God, my name's Chris. Anyway, you still don't know anything about me. So I'll answer that question now. Um, I am the creator of a card deck, um, which also doesn't have a name at the moment. Apparently names are, <laughs> are a problem for me. It's been called Bliss Oracle and Becoming Dragon. And now I'm considering naming it I Am Cyclops. Um, it's a card deck. We, what I know for sure is that it's a card deck about shadow emotions, uh, with the idea that if all you have is a compass with a south needle and you want to go north, as long as you know how to flip that needle around, you can get where you're going. Um, and we have these emotions that are kind of like the south needle. We have these unpleasant emotions like anger and envy and lostness. And they just have us feeling lost because we don't have any cultural literacy. We don't have any linguistic relationship with the opposite of that. What's the gift? What's the north to the south? So that's what this card deck is. Every card has uh, an upright and reverse. So there's a name on either side of the cards. And as you shuffle them, you also can reverse them around. Um, and that starts to build an awareness of how these dark emotions are related to their light counterpart. Wow. So how do you, how do you actually use this card deck? If I, if I have this card deck in front of me, what do I do with it? So you would shuffle it up and then you would choose it in whatever way you want, which can be surprisingly confronting for people who really like to have rules. Like I was taught to cut the deck three times and pick the one off the top, or I'm going to shuffle it seven times and then I'm going to cut it and I'll take the card off the cut. Um, so I encourage people to do whatever they feel, which is in and of itself a practice in tuning into your own body's awareness and intuition. Um, but before you do that, I highly suggest choosing a question for the deck, which can be as simple as what insights or advice is there on a particular topic. And as long as you pick a particular topic, you're going to get something useful. But if you choose, for example, let me just draw a card. I'll cut it for sake of time. Uh, I just drew the mature paired with petulant card. 
it's like, well, I don't know what I'm being mature in, but if I said, what's going on with this particular situation with my job or what's happening with this particular uh, situation in my love life, then you'd get super different answers, right? Because how I'm showing up with maturity in my career is probably very different than the situation that I'm showing up with maturity in my love life, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the super simple way you could, of course, um, come up with your own questions that could be, you could do a past, present, future. You could do a, what am I bringing into this dynamic? What's the other person bringing into this dynamic? And then a third card for what is the dynamic itself? Um, There's just many different spreads as you have imagination. Wow. So it sounds like a very sort of nifty tool for self-reflection mm-hmm. in any situation, basically. Mm-hmm. I hope so. <laughs> it's interesting also that you sort of, you set the intention, you draw the card and yeah. then you sort of do the reflection. Absolutely. And I highly recommend tuning in to both the imagery as, where, as well as the words that are on the card. And if you hate the card, oh my goodness, have you found gold? Um, the cards that I hate the most are the ones that have taught me the most. So if I have a rule, you know, whatever, I don't have rules for anybody, but I would highly suggest the intent behind this deck is if you turn a card and you do not like it, don't turn another card. (laughs) Dig into this card and see what's there for you. Stay with it. Stay with the discomfort. I guarantee you there's juice in that lemon. Wow. So this is interesting because we got to know each other through VR, basically. That's right. A couple of years back, we invited you to uh, as a speaker to a conference in Stockholm because me and my wife were both working in VR and AR at the time. And we sort of followed you for a while and thought this person has a very interesting brain <laughs> to Stockholm. <laughs> and both me and Fabiana have sort of, sort of shifted out of, of, um, of VR by now. And are you still sort of in that field at all? You know, it's really interesting. I think if you'd ask me... Uh maybe two, three months ago, I would have said, nope, I'm all done with that. <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm asking you now. <laughs> I'm, you're, yeah, it's funny. We ended up delaying the podcast by about that amount of time. Um, so it's just very nascent and it may not happen at all, but I do find myself um, dabbling back in this world because um, I'm helping to bring together a nonprofit called Earth Codes Observatory which is um, it's using immersive technology to reconnect us to nature, Uh, not connecting to technology, but connecting to nature through technology, which is a very critical Mm -hmm. distinction. (laughs) Wow. So I think this is interesting. What is it that, that drives you to, to this, like first this, this deck of cards that you're creating and this potential VR project about connecting you, connecting with nature once again why are you being drawn to these things and why what do you feel is important yeah i suppose if you're just hearing these things they might seem like they're incredibly disconnected but for me the through line is around connection to self and to nature because i you know i don't think that connection to now connection to nature or connection to self are actually separate i don't think that you can connect to one without the other in fact Um, we are at our core, a part of nature. We're not separate from nature in any way, shape or form. Um, and 
it's, it's all about transformation for me. Uh, I wouldn't be interested in this immersive technology nonprofit if it weren't for the purpose of personal transformation. Um, and that's, that's kind of, as we were hashing out between us, what's your role and what's your role and what's my role? <laughs> we finally decided that I was kind of the chief transformation officer, which I, in, in my mind, I visualize myself as the fire tender. I'm not the person that knows how to start nonprofits. I'm not the person that organizes the operations. <laughs> uh, I engineer the experiences and, and really think of myself as an architect of the experiences that bring about transformation. And the card deck is just one of those products using the most powerful tools that I have found in personal transformation. I, I took a, quite a left turn at Albuquerque about two years ago. I, uh, I had started an AI startup and that ran out of money as most startups do and went nose down into the dirt quite painfully. And, um, I found myself with a case of mild depression, which let me tell you, if that was mild depression, I can't even imagine what cases of severe depression are like. Um, and even after about six months of not working and sleeping really well and eating and, and spending the summer in California just hanging out, I still was exhausted and I had to, I had to get myself back in my own boots again. So that process really took a long time and it had some, some very big peaks and lows. And one of those peaks was realizing that I wanted to train as a trauma healer. So that's what I did last January. And I graduated in June and started a clinical practice. So now I sit across from people on video and we open up the darkest boxes of their psyche. (laughs) And that's, that's for me, transformation. That's for me, like scarier than being a heart surgeon and having someone's literal beating heart in your hands. I have their literal beating psychic heart in my hands. And that's such an honor. I honestly can't believe I get to do it. Wow. So it's it's interesting, both like in terms of your personal journey, but also knowing you as sort of this very up-to-date tech nerdy kind of person. <laughs> Thank you very in much. In the most cooperative <laughs> way, I could say that. Uh, I take that as a compliment. I know you, I know you do. <laughs> I would have thought. And, and it, it was intended as a compliment. Uh, it's interesting because I see this both in myself and in a lot of people around me, but also sort of in general right now, this sort of shift that's going on in society all over the place. But I think there's something particularly interesting happening in sort of the intersection between tech and, you know, call it consciousness or call it transformation or call it, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, To me, it's just very, very clear that there's there's a lot of bridging happening right now and a shift. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's uh, just interesting to hear your view on that from, from where you're sitting. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious um, to hear more about your shift away from VR and into what's next for you. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's like, <laughs> I think it's a similar shift, which is very interesting in itself, the fact that that happens. There's like, I think with v- with you, um, I have that too. I have it with Bill Melison in, in New York that whenever we sort of catch up and bring each other up to speed, it's, all, it's more or less always the case that we've made similar changes without sort of informing each other. And they're like, oh, you're doing that too. <laughs> it's been going on for like five years. Um, uh, but my shift is, is not just away from VR. It's, it's away from, maybe not even away, but, but 
um, at least shifting focus from uh, from technology as you know having to for me technology has been sort of the main focus for a long time and technology uh, in terms of where is society headed where are individuals headed uh, but then my shift now is is I think very similar to yours it's been ongoing for more than a year now and it's taken me deep 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 well it's been in a way it's been going on for six years but over the past year it's been taking me much deeper into consciousness and into healing uh so healing of uh, people's wounds um helping others not just myself find direction uh in life so for me that has meant uh going deep into to both shamanism and sound healing and modern day coaching and then sort of creating mashups of these things um, and started mm-hmm. hosting uh, retreats uh, right now, starting to work with individuals in a similar kind of way, but then also sort of as an overarching project, this this world wisdom project, which is actually about the same thing. It's about the personal journeys that we people have, um, which are centered around sort of healing and growth or healing and development, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then f- doing that as individuals and then supporting each other in communities in doing that. Um, that to me seems to be the, the most given way to actually try to, to um, start mm-hmm. dealing with the global issues that we have instead of working at the symptoms level, let's go down to the core of individuals and, and try to work from there. So that's like this short summary of where I am right now. So I'm, I'm in the middle of that shift, just like letting go of a lot of things and, and uh, giving myself to to this kind of purpose and just trusting that it will also work out, you know, (laughs) financially and all of those aspects. Um, But that's exactly where I am right now. And that's why it's also very interesting to speak to you because I hear that you're, you're doing a similar thing. Yeah. And it's, um, it is a wild journey, you know, there's, it takes, well, it has for me at least taken a lot of stripping myself away from my image of success. A lot of fears. I mean, I mentioned at the top that I'm in Eugene, Oregon, which is, you may know, um, not a city that anyone has probably ever heard of outside <laughs> of this not little people area. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's a town of 170,000 and I never in a million years would have thought that I would end up here. Um, and I had... Yeah, last time we met, you were in SF, right? Yeah, I was in San Francisco. And funnily enough, the nonprofit that I'm founding, it's in San Francisco. So <laughs> I'm in San Francisco about one week a month now and there's a nonstop flight and I feel like I actually somehow back my way into the best life for myself possible because I live here for about three weeks out of the month and then I go into San Francisco and I get all charged up and I get to like pack my week full of seeing the people that I want to see and getting all revved up and making a lot of progress in the external world. And then I need like three weeks to just ground that shit out. (laughs) uh, There's, there's a lot of, a lot of possibility for me when I'm in San Francisco for self-deception and self-delusion. There's just so much frenetic image of success energy there for me. And I'm really susceptible to that. So 
being in a place where nobody gives a damn <laughs> that I'm a guest on podcasts and speak at conferences in Sweden and do cool stuff. And I just get to be me and I get to go to dance and I get to bring a dish to the potluck. <laughs> it's so good. Um, but it was a painful journey. I mean, I really kind of got kicked out of the nest of San Francisco in a way, I just got to the point where I was so miserable that even though my ego was taking one on the nose and not liking, like, oh, did you fail? You had to leave San Francisco because you failed because you couldn't make it here. I'm like, I lived here for three years. What do you mean I failed? It's just time for me to go. And yeah, I don't know how to sum all that up except to say that those transitions are painful for the ego and what has emerged through the cracks of that shattering has been so healing. I live in this house with incredibly wonderful people. It's the only house I've ever lived in, including the one of my raising of my birth where I call back when I'm I'm traveling. I'm in New York. I'll call because I miss Melanie. I just want to see how she is. I want to like send her pictures. I never had that anywhere I have ever lived. So Finding those nests that nurture us even on our shittiest of days is has been huge for me. That's beautiful. So since we human beings, we tend to go through these loops of transitions and, and transformation, and they tend to be painful, <laughs> uh, like 100% of the time. Uh, and in hindsight, yeah. it's always kind of easy to see, like, yeah, that was great. That was amazing. It was the best thing that could happen. Uh, how... Like in this most recent transition that you've you've gone through and that you're maybe still going through, like what was your method? What was your process to sort of lead yourself through that transition? (laughs) (laughs) You know, the thing that the cheeky answer that immediately came before the question was even over was like, by the skin of my teeth. (laughs) 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 I don't have no process, damn it. (laughs) I just get up. I mean, it's just started to feel, my life has started to feel a little bit like hill climbing. But let me back up. I'm going to come back to hill climbing. I was, I had an energetic that I'd had probably my whole teenage and adult life, probably going back as far as when my ego started to form as a young child that I was an overachiever and I got love by my accomplishments. And so up until maybe, I don't know, three, four years ago, I had been moving through life with an energetic, like a shark that has to keep swimming or else it dies. This like, I have to keep going. Um, And I noticed that felt like pulling a big rusty boulder up a hill with dental floss. Like I have to do all the doing that that is going to get done in my life. I have to do it. And when I was, was trying to heal through that depression, I noticed it in the invitation at a moment of breaking was this image in my mind of just letting myself lay back in the river and float and look up at the sky and notice that the river carries you forward. Notice that if I wake up in the morning, the day will proceed without any effort on my part. Like (laughs) there's a momentum to life that just carries you forward. You just live the next day. That's just all there is. 
Um, and there's in fact nothing you can do to stop that. So just lay back and float, look up at the sky. Um, and I had to do that for a long time. And then eventually it started to feel like get in the canoe and paddle downstream, go in the direction of the momentum. Now that you've observed which direction the momentum is already taking you, you have some strength, you have rested. Now it is time for you to start paddling, but by all means, paddle in the direction of the momentum. <laughs> There's no point in paddling upstream. It's really not great. Stop doing that. You don't need to do that anymore. So I did that for a really long time. And then only just in maybe the last month does it feel like I docked that canoe and now I'm hill climbing. Uh, I want the vantage point from the top of the hill for whatever reason. I don't understand what this is about. This is a big spatial metaphor. I'm just living it. <laughs> I don't know that there's anything to learn from it, but these are my trail notes. And I'm, I'm hill climbing right now. It's really clear to me that I'm hill climbing. And the hill that I'm climbing is the hill of my own mastery. I've kind of just been a brat. I'm good at a lot of things. And what that led to is... If I'm not immediately good at something, and I mean like prodigy good, I have to be super good at it, then I just dismiss it. I just don't do that anymore. And the kinds of things that I'm interested in doing right now are the kinds of things that I, I can see that I have an immediate aptitude for. But then I got to this bratty point of like, oh, but there's still so much to learn. Holy shit, I've been studying to be a trauma healer for three whole months now and I'm not perfect at it. And how can I'm not done yet? And how can it be okay to do sessions you're if you're not perfect at it? Like, <laughs> How do heart surgeons learn? What do they do when the first patient dies? Like, holy shit. How does anybody ever get to mastery in some of these things that are so big that they're terrifying to not be good at? Like what, how does it, feel to go give a D minus heart surgery, but you got to start there, right? <laughs> I'm like, holy shit, what do surgeons do? This is insane. <laughs> Which I had a, a, you know, a breakdown call with my instructor about this question. <laughs> Living through the nightmare of giving a session that the other person did not experience uh, very well. And just being deeply afraid that I was never going to get to do my work and somehow living through your, your worst nightmare and continuing to go forward and continuing to climb the hill. And yeah, that's, that is where I'm at right now. It's a very interesting and slow process. And I'm learning a lot of patience in that, which does not come naturally to me. Wow. Thank you. That, that's a beautiful analogy to begin with. And is there anything in your training, like from your instructor, for instance, about how to deal with that, you know, actually probably sucking a little bit in your first, in your first sessions with clients? Yeah. Like how do you, how, yeah. Well, I mean, she just relayed the same thing that her mentor did with her because she started an institute, um, Mind Light Institute to train people. And her mentor said to her, before she was going to get started, she was like, hey, I'm, a, I'm about to do this thing. And he said, what's it like to know you're about to do this thing that you're going to suck at? 
And there's just nothing other than the recognition that we all suck at it and we just keep going anyway. There, there's just no other medicine than I, if you've got other medicine, I'd really love to know about it, but that's all I've got. I, I don't think I do, to be honest. It's humbling. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just the humility and, and for, um, such a chronic overachiever, those doses of humility are, are best and bitterest I think the medicine. only potential medicine, I, mean, I wouldn't maybe call it a medicine, but the only actual way to deal with it is honesty. And maybe, you know, even being honest with the client in this case saying, yeah, this yeah. conversation, <laughs> you know, I know this is not perfect. I know I'm not a professional fully yet. Uh, and this is, you know, this is scary. And this is all the things that that comes with it. Yeah. That to me would be the, the medicine because that type of honesty sort of automatically creates connection. Um, when being just vulnerable and human and honest like that, yeah. uh, with the fact that I'm, we're always constantly learning in everything and we're always constantly making mistakes, but then just like owning up to it and, uh, and expressing them. That's, that's a potential medicine. Yeah. I think that's a really important one. And I, I do think it's interesting. I do my best not to wear too thick of a mask as a healer because I think it's important to express boundaries in in a useful way and expressions of boundaries I think can be real moments of vulnerability where you know I've had clients ask me to do various things like could you do a couple session and I have to set a boundary and I could do that in a way that had them feel like they shouldn't have asked or I can lean into my vulnerability and say, I have no training in this and I have no idea how to do it. And I just can't, I'm not qualified, uh, which is super hard for me. Um, to, you know, cause there's a part of me, there's this voice is like, this will be really fun. You can learn so much. Dun, 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 dun. Um, but when I genuinely check in to see, is that in my scope of practice, I can feel that, I can't land that plane. So I'm not going to take off in that plane. And admitting that I'm not qualified to take off in that plane is really hard for me. But that's the honesty I think that you're talking about. Yeah, definitely. And I, I can fully relate to that. I, also, as a, you know, as this sort of achiever that I've been, this high achiever that I've been most part of my life, to, to really lean into. I had an experience in the retreat I was hosting a couple of weeks back where um, without sharing too much here, there was, I did really well for most of this retreat, which was six days, but there was one, uh, one ceremony, one session where I kind of lost grip of the situation. I didn't fuck up big time. It's like mm -hmm. no major issue, but I, I really felt it. I'm like, shit, this is not, this was not how I intended things to turn out. I, I, I see where I, you know, what I could have done differently and where I sort of lost track of, of what I was doing. Mm. And that, um, that for me was, was a huge thing. And also uh, being fully honest with it in the moment with everyone at the retreat, like this is how I experienced this situation. And I would like to apologize, apologize for the following things. Uh, and then just sitting with that emotion for a, for a couple of days and really like, personally for myself just like really going into it mm. you're like why and um, why am i reacting to this in such a big way it's like this was a couple of hours out of six days <laughs> uh, and and overall the entire retreat was amazing and everyone was super super uh happy with it yeah uh, but 
just the sheer fact that my brain put so much focus on this one thing that wasn't perfect. And, and with that came a lot of emotional response within my body, but just like sitting with it and, and, and noticing that, well, this is probably the biggest lesson for me during this week. All the stuff that worked is great too, but when I find myself becoming overly critical towards myself, then that's a moment where there's, there's opportunity for me to learn and, and to heal. Right. That's definitely what it sort of, sort of is about. That sort of just came up now uh, when you mentioned this, but there's, there's something to that. And especially as, a, as an overachiever where you have a mindset of always being perfect in the eyes of yourself and, and others. And, and that identity just, you know, gets killed whenever it doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. I don't, have you gotten much into the Enneagram? Not, I'm, I'm sort of waiting to get into it. Uh, I'm circling it a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Consider yourself circled. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. It's like, it's popping up. <laughs> You're not the first. Okay, so, yeah, so, yeah. So definitely I am obviously getting into it. <laughs> awesome. So the deck has not been about the Enneagram until like two days ago when I had a major realization that I've been looking for some sort of framework that would tell me whether I have any blind spots mm -hmm. that I haven't covered, you know, because here I am doing my best to uh, look through my two eyeballs and my heart and my gut um, and write about the attempt is to really be about the whole breadth of human emotional experience. And that's Jesus Christ, that's, that's insane. Who would do such a thing? This is a stupid project. Uh, such a small project. Who would take that on? Like, only an idiot. So, <laughs> so that it, it is me. And, uh, and I knew I had blind spots and I didn't have a framework to check it against, right? Um, so I got into the Enneagram and I initially heard about it maybe a year or two ago and I mistyped myself and I didn't really get that much out of it. I read a book, but it didn't stick. And then I just rediscovered it a couple of weeks ago and I realized that my deck could be organized into the nine types. Oh, wow. So each of the nine has seven cards that speak to their core challenges. And then there's plus one, the significator card that covers all of them, which is about the ego itself and the journey into, um, you know, the unity consciousness. So, oh, wow. uh, so all that is to say that I'm a three <laughs> and we all have each of these in us. So you don't have to know what type you are. And I, I'm hoping that the card deck will help you discover which one, because if you find one of those, uh, those especially difficult lemon cards <laughs> that's very juicy for you. Chances are you have a really strong wounding in that area and it'll say, oh, this, this card is associated with the sixes. And so then you can go and inquire, oh, maybe I'm a six as a way of typing yourself and exploring it. But anyway, I would like to read you a little chapter about this overachievement and workaholic from this amazing book that's that's inspired me called The Spiritual Dimension of the Enneagram by Sandra Maitri. Okay, please do. Okay. So I want to I want to connect why I'm going to read this to what you just said. I think it can be for those looking from the outside, threes as as I am, we look so shiny and competent. And we look so shiny and competent because we put an enormous amount of our energy into looking shiny and competent. <laughs> um, and in those moments where we fail, even if no one else knows that we fail, we know we failed and we take it so 
hard. <laughs> like we really, really beat ourselves up. So I don't know whether you're a three or not, but that was definitely a sort of three moment. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to read here from page 101. Cool. Success, a very important word for threes is defined here by how successful your image is, how seamless your performance and what has gotten as well as who you have impressed. The drive of a three is at its roots an attempt to offset and avoid their core deficiency state, which usually lies buried in the unconscious, feeling like a failure. There are a number of reasons why threes feel they have failed. First, they fundamentally believe that their only value arises from the image they present and from their accomplishments, which means that who they are feels worthless to them. The soul knows that its outer mask and activities are only the external, and so there is a deep sense of personal failing that nothing else about oneself seems to be of worth. Wow. Wow. That's cool. So, so uh, for people listening, the name of this book again? The Spiritual Dimension of the Enneagram by Sandra Maitri. Cool. And, and now that we speak of it, for, for anyone listening who's not familiar with the Enneagram, uh, how, how, how would you pitch that? <laughs> Yes, the Enneagram, the Enneagram. Yeah, so the Enneagram is, you know, there's like Myers-Briggs and uh, those sort of personality tests, but they tend to not get so much into the, the underneath emotional life of these different energetic archetypes. And there's what I don't want to compare it to Myers-Briggs. That's not the point. But for me, what's useful about these nine dimensions is that it, it gives you an understanding of both the outward presentation and the inner struggles, right? So the person that's at point nine uh, is typified as being a person who's a peacemaker, right? And they're extremely good at mediating disagreements between people, but those people also tend to forget themselves. They're so concerned with mediating between person A and person B that they don't actually know what their own needs are. and it's useful to have those things to just be able to be a little more compassionate about the world around you and a little more curious as well as once you feel like you have a sense of which one you are, um, there's a map forward for your own personal development. And it's really helpful to be able to read this chapter about yourself. And the one that you're most embarrassed by is, is almost certainly the one that you are (laughs) the one where you feel found out and like, oh, shit, I'm doing that. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but that's that's where the personality structure can start to crack open. And, you know, you can see the abyss that lies beneath and, and you, you look at it and you go, God, that looks horrible and terrifying. That doesn't look like progress. That looks like me laying in bed at midnight and sobbing. (laughs) I don't want to do that. I don't want to feel those feelings. But when you have a sense of knowing what's on the other side of feeling that and that you won't feel like you're in the abyss forever. And oh, by the way, that groundedness in groundlessness that's waiting for you is what your soul is calling you forward into. You know, that's why we have guides. That's why we use maps. If you, by your own sense making, could tell you were making progress towards that tree, you would just rely on your own sense making to get you there. But sometimes you have to go up the mountain pass and through the valley uh, and carry water for three days (laughs) to get to the lush valley on the other side. And in those instances, you need a map to know that you're going in the right place and you're not just headed off into a rattlesnake field 
uh, you know, pile of gravel that <laughs> it's going to take you three months to walk through and you're probably going to die on the way. Um, so that's, that's why I find this map particularly helpful. Yeah. It's a good map. And, and I mean, speaking of maps, that's, that's in a way sort of the gifts that we people give each other, uh, both each other, uh, you know, mm. peer to peer, but also like generation to generation, right? It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. I've lived a life. I found some stuff. <laughs> I'll try to map this out for, for whoever comes after yeah. to make it just a little bit easier potentially and, and make it a little easier to understand what's actually happening in this thing we call life. Um, and that's also why communication exists. That's mm-hmm. why that's why you're creating your deck of cards. That's why we're recording this as a podcast right? It's for that simple fact. Uh, and as we do it, we also... You know, when you draw a map, you actually learn and understand the terrain better yourself, right? Absolutely. So it's just, it's, it's, it's like, it's a gift to yourself and to other people at the same time. Absolutely. And what I like also about the Enneagram is that it helps you to make sense of the contradictory advice that's out there. And it has to be contradictory, right? We don't, we have to exist in paradox. Carl Jung says that the paradox is the only thing that has a hope of capturing the complexity of existence. You know, Burning Man has both leave no trace, or not leave no trace, uh, well, it's leave no trace and bring everything to the desert (laughs) to create a beautiful art. (laughs) Bring everything. (laughs) Bring everything to the desert. (laughs) Uh, But it also has... the plier provides and radical self-reliance. You need those, those, they kind of come in pairs, right? Because both are true. And at different moments, you have to feel into the ebb and flow and find your balance. So there's a lot of advice in the world about what to do in a particular circumstance. And if you don't know which side you tend to overweight, then it's really easy to continue to overweight it. And now you're doing it, you're spiritual bypassing because you're like, oh yeah, you know, I, I tend to, I don't know what I'm thinking of, like people please or something. And, and then you just continue to beat yourself into more people pleasing. But if you have a sense that you're a two on the Enneagram and that you have an understanding that because of your particular childhood conditioning and what you brought to it energetically, your pattern, the safest and easiest thing for you to do is to help other people navigate. When there is a problem, you show up with, I'm here to help you with your problem instead of understanding that you get to tend to your own needs. Um, So if you know that you're a two, then you would understand that you need to err on the side of looking after yourself. Whereas if you were like a seven who are always just like reaching out for external experiences, then you might conclude the exact opposite thing is, is your typical, the the way that you usually are in error. Um, And then you can unwind those patterns and like, well, even though this feels really weird and I feel kind of like I'm an asshole doing the other thing, I'm just gonna err on this side and I'll clean up these mistakes because I know it's much harder for me to look after myself than it is to look after you. So even though maybe I should be looking after you in this moment, I'm not going to do it because I know I have to unwind these patterns and I'll, I'll clean up whatever mess ensues. (laughs) (laughs) I'll apologize or I'll do like whatever needs to happen on this side, but I'm just going to put my weight on the other side of the balance scale for a while and see what I learn about under unwinding that pattern. Does that make sense? 
makes total sense. I had uh, uh, something comes up for me. I had a conversation recently with uh, an acrobat, uh, like a professional circus artist, uh, who spoke about how you can use analogies from the circus in in your business life or in your personal life. Oh, I totally agree. And one of the things that he spoke of was um, balance. That that a lot of people have the idea of balance, you know, all wrong. We envision this kind of sem like exactly. mode where everything just still, <laughs> while you know, if you're walking the line, uh, you know, um, uh, or like on a string, whatever it's called in, in English, um, what is balance? It's it's constantly adapting, right? And that's basically what you're speaking about here. Like, if I tend to fall to my right side constantly because I'm, you know, it's my pattern is to just con- con- continue to go in that direction, then I need to probably practice, you know, leaning a bit to the other side to actually find this balance and then just keep adjusting constantly. You'll never find a, um, you'll never find this sand like mode where everything just is stillness forever. You, you, you catch it for a moment, mm-hmm. but then the balancing act keeps going. So, and, it's just like, it's a nice analogy uh, to describe exactly what you're, you're speaking about. So it's kind of cool to be able to use like your deck, the Enneagram mm-hmm. and an al- analogy like this. So if I'm, if I'm, if I'm a circus artist, like where do I need to lean next? So mm-hmm. I don't fall down. Yeah. This is exactly um, captured in one of the cards in my deck that was originally named balance. Um, and then when I realized that each card needed to have an upright and a reverse, you know, words on the top and the bottom of the card, it changed to be rigid and ebb and flow. Mm. Because if I just put balance and people turned balance, they would be like, oh, balance, balance is good. I'm like, no, no, no. The shadow of balance is rigidity. It is this idea that I will reach some magic uh, still point that I'll be able to rest in for the rest of my life. And that'll be it. They can nail the coffin shut. It'll be great. <laughs> and it's just not no. how it ever works. You're always going to be tilting too far in one direction or the other. Yeah, it's like it's never, ever going to work like that. Amazing, Chris. Right. So I need to start wrapping up because my wife that you're also friends with is going to her women's group, which Beautiful. means I have a dog and a kid <laughs> that I need to tend to. <laughs> but before we go, uh, is there anything else that you like, feel like, yeah, I want to, I want to share this. This is something that's super exciting right now or, or, or something that, you know, your, your focus, your thoughts just keep coming back to in this moment at this moment in your life. Yeah. Well, there's just a lot going on in my world right now and I want everybody to know how they might interact with the different facets of me because uh, there's a lot. <laughs> so Earth Codes Observatory. Yeah, Earth Codes Observatory, especially if you're in San Francisco area, is just getting started. But get on the newsletter because um, we're going to be starting to produce events in the five-story former Stanford Medical Library that we now inhabit a really special building it was built over 100 years ago to be a temple to the better part of western knowledge um and it's been vacant and now wow so how do do you get on the newsletter is there a website go to earthcodesobservatory.org and sign up there and then um if anybody wants to draw a card in the digital card deck that's at chrisbeasley.com c-r-i-s-b-e-a-s-l-e-y.com Uh, And as well on that website, if anybody feels really called to work with me, I work with people all over the world via video chat, processing limiting beliefs and uh, childhood trauma, adult trauma as well. So uh, you can find me there. And lastly, but not least, um, 
I'm in I'm king with the grant for the web fund that is a hundred million dollar fund um, to give away to artists online. We're working to create a web standard for uh, monetization to get creators paid. Creators, aka artists. Cool. We're not creators. We're fucking artists. Fucking artists. <laughs> <laughs> fucking artist <laughs> so if you're a fucking artist and you're interested in changing the economics away from advertising um yeah so i just sit at this this really interesting nexus of technology and um and connection to self so cool. and that might way there you are that's all yeah that's not all but that's that's you know that's not all, but that'll be enough for now. And I am hoping to be at World of Wisdom. So if anybody is there and wants to say hello, um, yes. please come. So World of Wisdom needs to be August 11th to 16th in Sweden. Beautiful. Yes. And we're actually going to, hopefully, let's see uh, if it's, it's true. We're going to start rolling out ticket sales in the next couple of days when we record this. Beautiful. Hopefully. You never know with technology, but hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. It's just a couple of days away now. <laughs> Amazing, Chris. Beautiful. Thank you. Great to catch up with you. And thank you so uh, and much. By the way, when when will the deck be done and have a name and all those things? <laughs> God only knows. <laughs> I'm I'm very encouraged by learning that Salvador Dali's tarot deck took him ten years. Um, I keep thinking at the beginning of every year. I'm like, we're definitely publishing it this year. <laughs> but I'm having to live a lot of life to get this right, so it's gonna it's gonna come out when it comes out. Yeah, but we'll find it on your website. You'll find it on the website. Beautiful. All right. Thank you so much, and to you guys listening, thank you as always for being part of this. And as always, feel free to reach out with anything at all—thoughts, ideas, emotions, that sort of stuff—and you'll hear me again next week over and out